Pollard here. Welcome to the Marrow Report. The Marrow Report is recorded in front of a live virtual audience on the Duck Pond. Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, live. Mallard.com. M-A-L-L-I-A-R-D.com. One more thing before we start. Let me turn it over to my friend that you may know from Ancient Aliens and the Curse of Oak Island and many other things. Robert Clotworthy. On the Malliard Report, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on the show are solely those of the hosts and guests, and not necessarily of Evergreen Podcasts, KillerPodcast.com, sponsor or affiliate, or any other individual or group. On the Malliard Report, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the show are solely those of the hosts and guests, and not necessarily of Evergreen Podcast, KillerPodcast.com, sponsor or affiliate, or any other individual or group. Uh, good evening, everybody. I hope everybody's Tuesday went... Well, it snowed here, so it probably went better for somebody else than it did for me. We hope. Uh, my guest tonight is actor. I want to say a comedian. Is that is that true? Or is that, that was you just... an awkward, that was an awkward pause? I, I was gonna, well, I, well, I, I mean, I, I I've seen some funny stuff you do, but I don't want to label you if you don't want to be labeled that. No, I gave up on the whole comedy thing a while ago, and I started as, a, as an actor. I got away from it. I came back to it. So. You know, once an actor, always an actor. <laughs> so, uh, Sh- Shane, Sh- Shane Dillingham. Oh my God, oh. Jim! <laughs> Good thing this is live, and I can't go back and just <laughs> the toothpaste is out of the tube already. Yeah. Yeah. Take two. How are you doing tonight? Besides, 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 ready to hang up on? I'm you. fine, Larry. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> so, so what got you into the, the stage performance? I mean, because I mean, obviously, both of those traits, acting and being comedian, put you up in front of a crowd. What what, what drew you to that? Well, I was uh, as I, I always tell folks, I was a uh, I was a painfully shy child. I'm talking like panic attacks, run away from school. I hated crowds. I hated the busyness of it. It just sent me into a spiral, and. Uh, would often run away from school just out of sheer panic and um it was it was in uh it was in in grade school junior high when they uh, put on a school play and uh, you don't have a choice of uh doing it or not doing it it's like (laughs) okay jim you're gonna be the tree i don't want to be the tree well you're the tree we need a tree and you're the tree and uh i was forced and i got on stage and uh, I, I felt from this mass of the student body uh, support, you know, cheers and laughter and clapping and approval. And it it, uh, it flipped on a dime for me. And I, I felt like I, it wasn't me on the stage. It was this person, this character, this thing I was playing on the stage. So I didn't have to be worried because it wasn't me. And uh, it was my first moment of method acting. (laughs) (laughs) And it just kind of continued. I I found that by uh, acting out, not in a bad way, in a performing way, that I got attention, I got approval. People liked it. And, uh, you know, I I ran toward that light. Well, there you go. What kind of tree were you, I guess, is the... The uh, prodigal question. I was a, uh, I was a, mes- <laughs> I was an Arizona mesquite, but I was the des- best damn mesquite tree you'd ever seen. <laughs> I was also in a parade too. I remember uh, I was at this uh, uh, organization that my parents belonged to. They were like, "We're going to have a float in the parade, and it's going to be about Ben Franklin. We're going to have a kite on this uh, <laughs> this metal 
uh, I don't, it's not a cord, but like almost like a long metal pole bendable. And uh, there's a kite on the end of it. And you're going to be Ben Franklin. You're going to stand on the float. I remember my mom and all her friends made the costumes. And that was another moment of going down Main Street in the town that I grew up in. And I was Ben Franklin. And it was just like, this is pretty cool. Look, This is pretty cool looking out at all those people looking at me. So now, stupid me here. I'm going to show my stupidity for a minute because, oh, wait, I've already done that twice now. So You're like, wait, who now who is Ben Franklin? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I seen on the interweb that you were bo- on the interweb. There's yeah. strike free. I'm going to be out here on the soon. interweb. Now that's the one with the email, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that you were born in Europe. Yeah. It didn't. It didn't say where in Europe. It just said born in Europe. And I'm like, boy, that narrows it down a little bit, doesn't it? I like that because I put it that way. I was born in Europe because I thought it sounds fancy. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, so you're the one that did it. So you're up to the shenanigans. I, that I... Was, bo- I was born, my dad was in the military, so I was born in a military hospital in Wiesbaden at the west at the time, West Germany. But after the unification, just Germany. <laughs> so did that... I was the th- only one of my siblings to be born overseas, so it's kind of cool. I like but that, it. But that bouncing around probably didn't help your shyness at all because you didn't have no, a, no, a peer you know, group that, that you would. That, that, uh, that exemplified it. I mean, it just, it magnified it because I, I was never, you know, kids are, I don't know if you know this about kids, but they're not forgiving. And, you know, if you live in one town and then you move away for a year and then you come back to that same town and then you move away again to another town and then you come back to that same town, they're like, the first time they're forgiving. Oh my God, you're back. Hi. <laughs> and then you move again and you come back and they're like, you're always moving. You're weird. And that's it. And it named, it never gave me an opportunity to put down roots, build those relationships, those friendships that could, could have possibly lasted a lifetime. You know, the friends you, you know, I grew up in a small town that the people I went to grade school with were the same people in junior high, were the same people in high school, and those could have been lifelong relationships. But, but yet here you are, all the better, or all the smart, uh, all, all the better. We'll say that I'm not going to say you're smarter. Uh, well, at least you, if you, you won't be after you talk to me tonight, apparently, um, <laughs> yeah. having one of those nights. So okay, so you 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 did the play, and then how did you develop out of that? Because I mean, I know acting is. A lot of skill and part lock, but we're going to talk well, about skill. Well, I did, uh, I did, I did plays all through high school, junior high, high school, uh, and when it was done, I was like, "Well, I'd like to continue that." So I did community theater, and that graduated into doing semi-professional theater, and I and I I I discovered something about myself, and that is, I love performing. And I hate rehearsing. <laughs> and theater is a lot of rehearsing. As much as you're on stage performing is as much as you're rehearsing. You know, you're talking, if a show's going to run for two months, you're going you're gonna to rehearse at least two months prior. And I don't mean, you know, when I say rehearse, I don't mean once a week. I'm talking three, four days a week, you know, three, four, five hours a day, where at the end you're like, oh, my Lord, is this worth it? And so I discovered that I really liked performing, but I really hated uh, rehearsing. And so a lot of people were like, well, why don't you look into improv? And I was like, um, what is that? <laughs> and they were like, well, it's, you know, they, they categorize it as, it's kind of like Saturday Night Live. You know, you just, you, you perform in little short, funny skits. And the nice thing is, is 
you make them up and you make them up as you go. And uh, I was like, well, that doesn't sound like a lot of rehearsal. So I, I got involved with a sketch group and then I got involved with, um, and they graduated. I graduated from that into a, an improv troupe, which was really, really good. I mean, the top actors and performers at the time were involved in that. And um, a lot of those people were aspiring stand-ups. And so I went down one time to see a friend uh, perform stand-up. And I was like, oh, I, I, I think I could do this too. And it just sort of snowballed. And it got to the point where I was headlining as a stand-up. I was touring, headlining clubs as a stand-up. And I had done basically all I thought I could do in that realm and um, I I just was sort of left empty, you know. I I could do it. I could do it backwards. I could do it in my sleep, and it would be. It, it's kind of like if you're a mechanic and you're a gifted mechanic, and you can work on a car in your sleep. You get to the point where you're like, you know what? The last thing I want to do is work on any damn car. Right. Well, I, I know I my mechanic doesn't work on his own car. You know, you, you see people that are uh, painters, Picasso, and you're like, why don't you paint anymore? And you go, and they go, because it bores me. Daniel Day-Lewis is an amazing and Academy Award-winning actor, and he quit acting to go be a cobbler, a shoemaker in Italy. And people were like, why? And he said, because I'm bored. There's nothing to this. Everybody gave Marlon Brando a hard time because he's like, I would rather lay on a beach and watch ants crawl around in the sand because acting offers me nothing. There's no challenge in it. And I kind of got that way in stand-up where I was like, I've, I've done this, I've toured, I've been on television, I've done DVDs, I've done everything, and this offers me nothing. And I, I had sort of always continued to act, and then I thought, well, I might just look back into that. Well, hold full on. force. Hold on. Let's, let's, pause, let's pause there. Let's go back to the stand-up days for a minute because I sure. know I've had some musicians on. and You know, there's the upper-level people that everybody thinks about, when, especially when I'm talking about musicians, but it's the same with stand-up comedy, I'm sure. You know, yeah. the flying private jets and doing the whole bit, right? And then there's the other guys who ride the bus and, you know, grind through city to city. Yeah. Uh, take me through those days. Um, there had to have been some misadventure somewhere. Well, there was there was there was good times, there were bad times, but then there were a lot of times where it was like, "Hey, can you come to El Centro on Wednesday and do this show for $75?" And at some point you have to go, "Is this really moving me forward or am I just grinding it out, making money right now and this really isn't leaving leading anywhere?" You know, a lot of people don't understand that, you know, Steve Martin doing comedy in the 70s at one point this man was selling out stadiums, amphitheaters. His last uh, farewell shows were at the Universal Amphitheater. You know who his opening act was for two nights? The Blues Brothers. <laughs> Belushi and Aykroyd, Blues Brothers. They, they were his opening act. This man was huge. And he got to a point where he said, I'm now going to do films and I'm going to be an actor. And people were like, they couldn't understand it. And he said... I had done everything that I could and wanted to do in stand-up. And I didn't just want to grind it out again for the next 30 or 40 years, coming out in a white suit, arrow through my head, doing the same stuff. And I can relate. 
I can relate to why people like, I mean, could you imagine poor Elvis, the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, you write all this new stuff because essentially you're a songwriter and a musician, but every night you come out and they want to hear Hound Dog. <laughs> I was going to say. I and you're it... like, you know what? The last thing I want to do is sing that damn song one more time. <laughs> I want to sing gospel. I want to sing country. I want to do anything. But and you become you become this sort of thing that is just regurgitating the same stuff over and over and Jim, I saw comics like that. I saw guys that I would perform with in in the in 2000s. In the in the 2000s and these guys peaked in the 70s. And there's a guy in front of me doing jokes about Sammy Davis Jr. and Nixon. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> He's making uh, John Boy from the Walton references. And I'm like, did you ever update your... No, they don't update their act because when they find what works, they stick with it. And they, I always thought stand-up was this. You know, they're doing a different act every night. No, that's improv. Stand-up is you develop an act, a 45-minute to an hour-long or whatever act that has been written and rehearsed, and you do that same act over and over and over and over and over again because it pays the bills. So where I, 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 get, I can obviously see why you get bored with that because I do this hour-long show every week, but it's different every week because I bring somebody else on to kind of... Exactly. Imagine doing the same show every week, Jim, with the same guests, talking about the same thing. You were like, you would say to yourself on about week four... I don't think this is going to work. Yeah, there'd be, a, as the joke goes, a silver bullet for it. No. <laughs> it's true. It's why guys in the middle of a career of being a lawyer say, I'm going to go be a surfer. And they're like, what? Why? Well, because this was supposed to be my backup job, and I've done this for 30 years. And I'll be honest with you, I'm miserable. I'm not doing what I want to do. So I have the money. I'm in the position where I want to just now do what it is I want to do. Okay, so now you've made the now you started to make the transition to be an actor, but I'm sure there were some bumps in the road because, well, there just is with that profession. Just like like I said, when we talk to musicians, it's never as smooth as they want it to be. So, the first the first probably couple of years of trying to make that transition, people were like, uh, "What are you doing? Right? Why are you doing uh, this? No, what are you doing?" No, I was I was really kind of welcomed into acting because I never really. I never really left it. It's just that people started seeing me more at acting networking events, film festivals, auditions. They just saw me out more. And the more I was around those people, the more I was like, this is where I want to be. I want to be on a set. I want to be aud auditioning. I want to be talking about creating characters. This is where I'm happiest. So... When did you flip that switch? You, you mentioned being around stand-up in 2000, the 2000. So when did that, that flip? Uh, probably. Well, I never, you know. Well, I know left. you said you never left, but I'm, like I said, there's that But when I though. dove into it full-time was probably eight years ago. Because I noticed you've done a bunch of things in that, that short oh, period Oh, I've of time. been hustling, man. I've been hustling. So that'd be your, that'd be your, obviously, I normally try to bring some advice from somebody and that, that'd be your get out there and just do. Yeah, you want to be, got, I mean, because I realized that I have I have now seven agents that represent me across seven <laughs> do, states. Do you make a dime then? No, I'm just. <laughs> yeah. And it's not for any reason to be like, ha, 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 I it's because I know that realistically, each one is only going to contact me once a month for an audition, a self tape, whatever. 
And a self-tape for people who don't know is that basically you audition at home. You record the lines, the script, the scene they want to see at home, and then you email it back in. It's a wonderful thing because no longer do you have to live in Los Angeles or New York. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I just uh, decided that whatever the agents get me, that's that's the gravy. Whatever I get on my own, that's the meat and potatoes of my acting. And so I'm out there hustling up and I make a lot of people on social media mad because actors, you know, and people send me requests all the time. And I'm like, you know who I have on my social media? What little I have of it. I have <laughs> uh, producers, directors, casting agents, production companies. And I, the, what I post 90% of time, the 90% of the time are pictures of me on set, a commercial I did, a film I did, a TV show I did. Why? For no other reason that people want to work with an actor that's acting. And I can't tell you how many times somebody has said, hey, man, I just I saw that clip on your Instagram and I loved it. And listen, I got a thing coming up that you would be perfect for. So I uh, I thought I'm not going to sit around and wait for an agent to hopefully send me something that hopefully I land, that hopefully somebody sees me. And that's just too hopeful that's just too too chancy i'm going to pick up this ball and i'm going to run with it myself and if anything happens it's because i'm going to make it happen so how does having an agent work and how do they get paid i'm assuming they get a pay a, a part do you pay they them get a, a percentage yeah they get a percentage of whatever you make so if you're not acting they're not making anything so it behooves them to send you out and get you cast in a lot of things and they get anywhere from 10 to 15%, depending on whether it's union or non-union. And um, that's that's basically it. You know, there's different agents in different states. And, and uh, you know, they're, they're a nice addition. And then you're out hustling yourself, so you're kind of competing against your agent, though, in a way? No. No, because they're getting things that I'm not... I'm not privy to, you know, there may be some, I read for the, the uh, movie with Sam Rockwell and uh, Steve Carell and uh, Christian, what's his name? The guy that played Batman, Christian Bale, Bale, the movie vice. And uh, through universal studios, my agent had access to that. Not me. You know, they're not going to put that on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> they're not. But I see I see a lot of I see a lot of things, commercials, local commercials, regional commercials, independent films, TV series, TV pilots, web series, things that they don't. You know, an agent sometimes will be like, you know, I could send Jim on, on this Jim on this thing and if he gets it, it pays 4 grand, but this thing over here that is, you know, it's an independent film that Jim could work on for two days and make 500 bucks. Well, that's not enough money to, I, I'm not, as an agent, not going to make any money off of that. So I'm not going to worry about that. Right. So, which, which is good. Is it good for, is it good for you? Because you're not getting all the, the, the reps, so to speak, I guess for the lack of a better word for it, but yeah. it's good for you. I mean, if you're out there hustling for them and you find them, it's good for you. Yeah. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a greedy slob. I like to work. So I'm I'm pretty much on the on the norm doing four to five projects a month. Again, just because I like working, I like acting, I like I feel like I'm moving forward in that aspect. And I got into this 
to be a working actor, not to be a movie star. A movie star walks down the red carpet, gets out of a limo, slaps people unnecessarily on stage. That's a movie star. (laughs) I wanted to be an actor where somebody was like, you're going to be the creepy guy in this horror film, or you're going to be this old guy who's a fisherman, or you're going to be the mob boss or that to me, you know, you do that. You can work for the rest of your life. You want to be a movie star that has a very narrow window very narrow yeah i was gonna say i i was thinking about um bill o'brice who played the uh, lincoln in uh versus the zombies it's a b-rate horror film that asked this afternoon he's been a guest and i was thinking about bill o'burst bill o'burst jr yeah yeah big fan of his he's so so intelligent and so grounded and and he just has such a good head on his shoulders and 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 the right advice he in an interview he was they were like what would you tell people that wanted to come to Hollywood and become an actor and he just straight out said don't <laughs> don't this is a hard way to make a living and a hard endeavor to pursue yeah because essentially you're going to be told no 90% of the time why because it has nothing to do within your ability. You're too short. You're too tall. You're too fat. You're too thin. You're a man. You're a woman. You're too young. You're too old. Something is always against you. And you're you're being subjected all the time to that criticism. And you better have a leather thick skin to pursue this. Yeah. Uh, he was a guest on the show a couple years ago. And I used to say, I like, you actors, I mean, musicians, I seem to think the same have more fun. Maybe that's just me being an outsider who doesn't have any skills above, well, I can't even say talking tonight, but, uh, <laughs> but they, you know, they kind of get that instant feedback and more gratification. But if you're acting on, um, for a movie, yeah, you, there's 10 people in front of you and none of them are going to jump up and down and start cheering. Exactly. It's hard. It's, it's harder and more challenging than stand up because stand up requires an audience. Stand up requires that interaction. Acting uh, does as well. Music doesn't, and I'll tell you why. Because at some point, when we start this song, and we're rocking out to Pretty Woman, at some point, I can look at Jim, who's on the bass, and I'm on the lead guitar, and the audience doesn't even have to be there. We're just having a good time playing, man. And if the audience wants to applaud afterwards, that's just gravy. Cool. That's what I'm saying. They have way more fun than either of the other realms there. Yeah, and acting is something where we need feedback. We need, for lack of a better phrase, we need that approval. So which which way is there more pressure, when you're on stage like uh, doing a live play or production that way or doing the the movie recording where, you know, no, people, uh, were, people were putting yeah. money into that? I mean, like every take, yeah. take costs you money. No, there's more pressure on stage, and I'll tell you why. Because let's say you're the lead and this is a three-act play. You got 60, 70, 80 pages of dialogue you need to remember. The transitions in this show, the emotional highs, the emotional lows. There's so much. That's a that's a tough challenge because you've got to remember the dialogue, remember the emotion, remember the cues. Film acting is like God, somebody said it so great, and that is and I, and I know I'm gonna screw up this phrase or the way they put it, but it's like uh, stage acting is like doing surgery with a grenade. Film <laughs> acting, film acting is like doing surgery with a laser. You have to be that precise because when a camera 
it's a different medium on stage. I can be very big because I have to be animated so people, you know, 50 rows back can see me. And I can be big and over the top and talk to the back row. Uh, but on film, you know, the camera's right in your face. It's a foot away from your face. So just a, a lifting of your eyebrow can be huge. Blinking. Blinking can be huge. So you learn to master a whole different medium. And uh, I, I love it. Uh, there's nothing more fun and challenging to me than good film work. And film work, by that I mean film, television, or commercial. Anything so, with a camera. So let's talk about commercial because I think that goes way underrated in the uh, skill set of people's thinking because you think they're just out of sell you that Honda Accord. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever. And if Honda wants to pay for that spot, they can certainly write a check. But anyways. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> so you're doing a commercial. It's got, it's got to be spot on because you've got Thirty seconds. Yeah. Well, and they usually with every commercial production, they know exactly what it is they want because they are very detailed in the in the fact that they have already they come to that they've storyboarded everything out. So they they have the exact script. If it's ten lines, if it's fifteen lines, and with a storyboard which looks like a cartoon panel, a comic book panel, they they draw out. You know, we're going to see this lady here. Then the camera flips. Now this is the second shot. The guy sitting here, medium shot him from the top of his head to mid chest. We see a car in the background over his left shoulder. I mean, it is detailed out like a like a architect's blueprint. So that way, when they get on set, they they're like, we know the shots, and we know that the shots for every line. So with. Very, with all that work going into it, is it harder to produce a advertisement or a movie? Uh, it's harder to do a movie because they never shoot. You know, a commercial will go, okay, first shot is movies don't shoot in sequence. Which always has blown my mind, by the way. Yeah, so you could be going in and, uh, you know, they're like, okay, we're going to shoot the last scene first where everybody dies and then uh, three days from now, we're going to shoot your arrival when everybody shows up and you're like, okay. So you really have to be a, a study. You really have to, prior to even stepping on set, you have to have done your homework. You have to make notes all over your script. Whenever I show up with my script, it looks like I've been doodling because I have <laughs> notes and arrows and underlines and red letters and yellow highlighted and just tons to remind me because this is my go-to okay, I'm shooting this scene first. Well, emotionally, this is where I'm at. And now we're going back to the beginning. So now I have to be quiet and stoic because it doesn't build yet. Uh, this is the first shot of me. It's, uh, it's not easy, but the best thing you can do as in life is preparation. The best, the best thing you can do is be prepared. Show up and be like, throw me a line and I'll throw my next line back at you. I know the script that well. So, that well. I mean, I'm sure there's some stage value to not filming it in order, but what what's the, is it just based on solely production? I'm trying to figure out why, I mean, I've, I've known they don't film them in order, but is there a rhyme or reason for that? Well, they may go, we only have access to this location that we've rented for three days. So we're only going to be allowed to shoot on this property for three days. And then after that, 
we're going to move, you know, all to uh, they want to make they may want to get all their exterior shots done because the easy stuff, you know, we're filming Breaking Bad and we've got three exterior shots for this episode with an RV and we're going to go film that in between Albuquerque and Santa Fe. Uh, but then we're coming, we're coming back, and the rest is just in the studio where we have all the sets already built indoors. Yeah, you'll be here, you know, twelve, fourteen, sixteen hours a day, but you know, at least we're not going to have to be out in the field. So sometimes <laughs> they'll shoot some of those out of sequence for that reason. Then I was thinking about my weather. It's a, you know. it's, a lo- it's a weather thing. It's a location thing. It's an actor availability. They may go. Brian Cranston's not available till Wednesday, so. We have to film everything else Monday and Tuesday that doesn't need him. There's a lot that falls into it. A Man, lot. I, I, as I said, I'm, I'm sitting here uh, doing some logistics in my head, and it makes my head hurt. And I promise yeah. not to make yours hurt, so uh, we'll keep it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but, uh, so, okay. So, Cat Ward says she likes your voice, first and foremost. Cat Ward uh, from Paranormal Heart, she's a listener to my show, and oh. she likes your voice. And I see you do some voice acting, right? My voice acting. You know what it is? I I played, uh, and by the way, thank you for the compliment. I, um, I've i done a, a handful of voice work, uh, and that's just because I think I stink at it. I have tried to be like, hey, at your Honda dealer this week, there's great sales going on. And I just go, I sound ridiculous. I don't have that voice. Now, if you want me to be a mobster going, all right, everybody, at your Honda dealer, here's what's going on this week. I can do that. I can be a character. But <laughs> I, I just, luckily, the things that I've done in voice have always been charactery. I, I fell ass backwards into one because they were like, they're, they're very vague. They won't give you specifics because they want to see what you can bring. And they were like, we're looking for somebody to be an announcer. And they didn't say for what, and they didn't say what kind of announcer. Well, I can only do one announcer. And that's uh, Don Pardo, the announcer from Saturday Night Live. So I was just like, well, hell with it. Well, little did I know this particular commercial was a voiceover for the Seattle Mariners for the Robinson Cano show. And they were making a um, a commercial that was sort of like the opening of Saturday Night Live, but all the characters were Robinson Cano. So I just went into this, and I was like, live from Scottsdale, it's Saturday night, <laughs> and just did that. And they were like, oh, well, you know, it just so happens. So I don't know. I've, I've, and I did a cartoon. I've, I've done a handful. But the only thing I've learned to do with my voice is I manipulate it depending on the character. This is my normal speaking voice like this, la, 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 la. But when I get a character like a mob boss or a cowboy or something, I can drop some bass in my voice so I can make it sound a little tougher, a little more uh, intimidating. And people, I can't tell you how many people are like, love your voice. I'm like, thank you. It's not mine. I'm just <laughs> acting. It's just pretend. <laughs> so, <laughs> But it's nice. And I tell people all the time, you better learn how to manipulate your voice. Because, you know, if you're the mob boss and you're like, okay, you guys, listen, I'm the boss and I'm getting really tired of this. People are going to go, that's not working. He looks great, but he sounds like an idiot. But if you can learn to manipulate your voice, so the character's like, all right, look, here's the deal, okay? We're going to go in and we're going to take those guys out. So says me. Then people like that. You got you to gotta learn to be a chameleon, my friend. I, I just got to work on that. Work on that look is great because people know I'm an idiot. So we just got to work <laughs> 
That wasn't fair. I just did to that poor guy while he was taking a drink. That was not, I did him dirty there. Um, so normally to the show we have some paranormal tones ghost stories uh, ufos any have you ever seen anything strange out there across the country while you've been out um i've had some some strange occurrences in my personal life that have left me with a big huh you know a big question mark where i'm like wow that's uh that is truly unexplainable and I have never tried to examine it. I have always left it with a big question mark that uh, leaves a little mystery to it. That's I bet good. you'd like to know. I bet you'd like to know what now, huh? Yeah, I was going to say, boy, you just kind of. <laughs> now, now I'm trying to figure out should I should I be um, the, the the nice guy and leave it hang or uh... no no. no. <laughs> and on episode two with Jim. Fourteen ninety nine. Pay to hear the rest of the story. No. <laughs> uh, you know, when I was a kid, again, uh, shy, painfully shy, panic attacks, and I think it was that I was very emotional. Hence, going into being an actor, but I was very emotional, and being emotional, I think you're not just sensitive; you're hypersensitive to things. And and as a kid, uh, I had a lot of what people would call deja vu, where I would find myself you know, in the school library and I'd be like, whoa, wait a minute. I dreamed this. I was here in the same light. You were there. There were people, this was going on. I dreamed this. And I'm telling you, Jim, I had that a lot. I mean, multiple times a week, I would be in situations where I'd be like, whoa, what is going on? What? Huh? And there was one time when I was about mm, nine or 10, I want to guess. And I was on a, I don't want to brag, but I was on a Greyhound bus. And uh, I was traveling in between somewhere as my family was moving. I was being sent somewhere, coming home from somewhere. And I was sitting next, and I remember this vividly, because something like this burns in your memory. Uh, I was sitting next to this little Asian man and uh, who looked like David Lopan, by the way, from Big Trouble in Little China. And I'm sitting next to him, and all of a sudden I got this sort of... And uh, this voice feeling premonition said basically don't freak out but somebody on this bus is going to have a heart attack almost like preparing me and not more than five seconds later did I hear a girl from the back of the bus behind me go um could somebody help this guy's having a heart attack and I turned around and the guy was a double amputee and he was shaking shaking and she was a nurse, you know, and they pulled the bus over, got him off, got him onto an ambulance. Turned out he was um, epileptic. He was having an epileptic seizure. But I remember feeling that and hearing it, preparing me for it. And then I heard her go, could somebody help? This guy's having a heart attack. And I remember looking at that little Asian man and I go, I knew this was going to happen. And he just kind of looked at me and smiled. (laughs) So that always stuck with me. There was another situation where I was driving from Tucson back to Phoenix. And, uh, you know, when you drive on those highways like that, you sometimes you're, you're moving and you don't realize, hey, I'm going 80. Uh, and I'm you, you get into like a little bunch of four cars and you get on the tail of one and you're kind of pushing them like, come on, move, move, change lanes. Let's go move. So I'm in this little uh, box of four vehicles. And in the left lane, there's an 18 wheeler. And, and behind him is a little white four-door right on the bumper of this 18-wheeler. And I'm in the right lane. 
and we're going 85, 90. And in front of me is a little red pickup truck. And again, feeling, voice, something said to me. And then, I mean, Jim, you want to talk about specific. Something said to me, back off this truck because the hood's going to pop up. And I put my foot off the gas. It coasted back about 50 feet. And I'll be damned if the hood on that red pickup didn't pop up. And it swerved and it pushed over into the 18-wheeler's lane. And the 18-wheeler went, and the car behind him hit its brakes. And I was behind all this. I had backed off. And all I thought was, I wonder if that's because I would have been involved in some pileup. Because the first thing this red truck did was the hood popped up. It swerved back and forth. They hit their brakes, moved over toward the semi. And I thought, I was right on this guy's tail. I was right on this guy's tail. And it was one of those things where I pulled over and I called my wife and I was like, I have to get out of the car because my legs are shaking. I can't stand up. I can't stand up. (laughs) I've had a couple of moments like that where you just go, huh? Huh? Now, the other side of that, the fun side, well, I don't want to say the fun side of that, but there's always some of that, right? Um, I'm sure you were in a number of theaters and other places that had a good ghost story that you ever see the lady in the back or any of those fun things? Um, no, never at any particular location. Uh, strange feelings. I was in tombstone, the actual tombstone went into the actual birdcage theater and there was just a, um, there was a feeling there. There was, there's no air conditioning. So the air is very still. It's very thick. It's not moving, but there's, there's some kind of, you know, you feel like an electricity there where you're, you're, the hair on your arms is standing up, you know, and it wasn't all the time, but you definitely feel what I would call a presence, something. I had a moment in bed one time that just freaked me out to no end. You know, and you talk about, you know, ghosts and, and shadow people and all these different things. And I remember one time I was sleeping in bed and I, I sleeping on my right side and I kind of, I kind of looked up and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of blinking coming to, and it's three or four in the morning, you know, the witching hour. (laughs) And I look up and I see what's essentially a, a black figure, solid black, just standing over me, like leaning over me, like face in my face. And I could see how it was bent over at the waist and just leaning over about a foot from me. And I woke up swinging. And it was just gone. I lay in bed sometimes and I'm like, feels like somebody's messing with my feet. Constantly. (laughs) Pulling at the sheets, pulling at the blanket, touching my feet. I'm like, what is going on? It's happened so much now that I'm just kind of like, okay. But You have to kind of. Okay. Oh, so I kind of alluded to it, but... uh... Go ahead and give me the hard sell on you. Where can people find you and some of the, the, the more prevalent stuff? And, you know, just promote yourself here for a good minute oh, and a half or whatever. I don't know. Just uh, Well, you got a website out there. and You, you have know. a website, seandillingham.com. I, I have my IMDB. I have a Facebook. I have an Instagram, Sean Dillingham Actor. Really original. <laughs> and uh, But it's it's 
pretty boring. I mean, I just post commercials or movies or TV shows that I've done. And uh, well, other than that, I'll wait, just, wait, wait, I mean, boring, but it pays your bills, right? And it's something you love <laughs> to do. So, uh, yeah. well, boring uh, to me. I mean, I would be like, this guy doesn't interact, or I'm just kind of like, yeah, I just, I don't know. Yeah. I, I I try not to live in the social media virtual world. I just, I would be like. I'd rather be like, I'm too busy. I'm, I'm on a set somewhere. I'm on a set on a film, a TV show, a commercial working, enjoying life. It's to me like the people that show up at the Grand Canyon and they got their phone out and they're taking videos and pictures of it. And I'm like, why don't you put that away and just take in the moment? <laughs> yeah, if I take, if I take this to... picture, I could take it in later too. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, my God, I see people do that all the time. And they're at the Grand Canyon or they're at... Uh, the great wall of China or they're at an amazing concert. And I'm like, you know what this is supposed to be doing? Feeding your soul. And you're not even here because you're looking at that damn phone screen going, I'm going to take a picture of this and post it. I'm going to take a video of it. And, and I'm like, <laughs> put that up and just enjoy the moment. Enrich yourself as a person. Yeah. But I might get five likes on Instagram if I post this picture. Yeah. I think I'm going to post that right now. <laughs> Post a picture of you right now, just, just sitting there. Yeah. So, you talked about character development earlier, and that, that makes me wonder. Um, mm. Any work behind this, on the other side of the, the camera, the backside, working the right? I've done, or... a, I've done a couple things. I did uh, a couple. I made. I, I shot a couple of my own short films. Um, it makes me a better actor to know what goes on the the behind the scenes on the other side of the camera. I did uh, I, I did a, a short film called Jason Goes Shopping, and it was about you know Friday the Thirteenth, Jason, hockey mask, and uh, me and a couple of friends went into a, a grocery store like at eleven o'clock at night when they were getting ready to close, and we were like, "Hey, can we just film this?" And they were like, "I, I don't care what you do, knock yourself." <laughs> store knock closes yourself out. at nine. Do whatever you want to do. <laughs> yeah, they were like, "Knock, knock yourself out, Spielberg." <laughs> And so, you know, I had it again, I had it all storyboarded out. I knew what I wanted every shot to be shot in the parking lot, shot in the store. And uh, it was like a little four or five minute, three, four, five minute little short film. You know, Jason goes into the store, uh, shows up, <laughs> walks down the aisles, finally goes to the hardware department where he finds a machete, goes to the checkout, tries to check out. And the guy's like, yeah, I'm going to need to see a little ID with this. And he hands it to him, and he's like, this doesn't look like you. And he takes up his hockey mask. <gasps> oh, my God. Okay, it's you. It's you. <laughs> and he takes his hockey mask and walks out in a bag with it all dainty and just a stupid idea. Well, I had that out on uh, the internet, the interweb. There you go. Probably, uh, <laughs> I don't know, three or four months. And then I got contacted by this guy who said, my name is Tavral, and I'm a, uh, a, a musician an entertainer out of Slovakia. And I was like, where the hell is Slovakia? Come to find out it's east of Italy. Slovakia. And for some reason, I was watching your short film playing my latest song, and it went perfectly with it. It matched up perfectly. And I would like to know if I could have the, the rights to use it as the music video for my song. And I said, sure, I, yeah, thank you for the compliment. I appreciate that. And it, as long as you give me some credit in there. And that thing got played all over Europe. It was on MTV Europe and everything. So Wait, wait, you know, wait. wait. You, MTV Europe still plays music? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> believe it or not. Yeah. 
That's breaking so there news. You go. <laughs> that was it. And uh, I, I wanted to see what it was like on the other side of the camera to make myself a better actor, to know the views, to know the angles, to know the cameras, the filters, everything, the lenses. Uh, because when I, I, thankfully this happened, when I was 20, 21, and I went on my very first commercial jobs, I had landed it, going to do it. I was told to show up at 11, 11, 11.30 in the morning. And I showed up, and before that, I thought, you know, when you're the actor, I mean, uh, this is it. I'm the actor, okay? The actor is here now, sir. We can begin. The magic is here. Because as the actor, I am the most important thing on this set. And I showed up, and these giant hulking men who were there, all the union guys that had been building the sets, they they walked up to me, and they were like, all right, look, monkey boy. We've been here since five this morning building this, and we want to go to lunch. So get your lines right and don't screw up because we don't want it to be a long day. And I was like, yes, sir. And I realized at that point, I am probably the least important thing here. And it was a good thing that happened because I have no no uh, onus, no attitude, no nothing, because I realized you are but one cog in a giant machine. We are all a team and we are all trying to achieve the same thing, and that is the director's vision. And if we all get on board and understand that vision and work together, it's going to come to fruition. So that that happened when I was young, early on, and it, it humbled me and it put me in the right place. But you, everybody, you know, everybody's got a job on a set, man. And um, I was in that that Alec Baldwin movie, Rust, and. Uh, A lot of people, when that tragedy happened, I was contacted by everyone. Jim, you wouldn't believe it. The New York Times, the L.A. Times, Entertainment Tonight, Access Hollywood. And I kept saying the same thing. I got nothing to say. I got nothing to say. And they wanted to blame Alec Baldwin, Alec Baldwin, Alec Baldwin. And I'm like, let, let me – I did finally talk about it on one podcast briefly. And I said, let me explain something to you. Do you, and they, do you know what an actor's job is on a set, on a film set, a TV set, a commercial set? Your job is to show up and be pretty and remember your lines. And that's it. I am not a professional gunfighter nor a professional gun handler. If you need anything, there's somebody for your hair. There's somebody for your wardrobe. There's somebody that takes care of your food. There's somebody that drives you. So stop blaming him because he didn't show up that day and go, I'm going to kill somebody. I'm just going to kill somebody. It, you know what it is? And this happens in life. And I'm sorry. You have to accept it was an accident. Can accidents be avoided? Sure. To some extent, but sometimes you can't tell when the person in the car next to you doesn't even look and turns into you. And you're like, you just sideswiped me. Oh, I, uh, yeah, I was, I wasn't even thinking. Yeah. No kidding. Or has their hood fly up? You know, and I've been on <laughs> sets where I, I've been on sets where somebody's like, yeah, that light's not good. Can we move it? And I'm two feet from the light, Jim. And I reach over to move. I go, I got it. I'm right here. And a guy goes, hey, don't do that. First of all, that's my job. If you do it, you're taking away my job. Now I'm standing around twiddling my thumbs. Everybody has a job on that set. Everybody. So that's my little spiel. No, that's a good <laughs> spiel. And I guess, is it harder to work on bigger budget films then because 
you are you would be taking the guy's job, but if you're on a, a guy that has thirty bucks to film this thing and you move the light, it's not necessarily as upsetting well, for somebody. On a bigger budget, there's more hands involved, there's more people involved, and sometimes that can be a good thing, sometimes that can be a bad thing. On independent films, you know, it's sort of you liken it to guerrilla filmmaking. You know, they may say, We need you, Jim, to show up at four AM and you're like, You're kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. We we gotta get that sun when the sun's coming up and you know, I know it's an hour drive from your home and, you know, and then after that, we're going to be off for a couple of hours and then we're going to meet back around one and you got to be much more flexible on those independents. And a, a major film can be like, you're going to film Monday and Tuesday and then be off Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then you're going to come back Saturday. And there's a lot more planning involved. They really have it. I did, uh, I'll tell you how, how planned they have them sometimes. I did the show Better Call Saul and I got my call time. And they were like, your call time's at 5.18 a.m. And I go, is somebody screwing with me? Because that is very that is very specific. Usually it's rounded off to a half hour. Yeah, I was going to say, that seems 5, 5.30. Yeah. I thought somebody was screwing with me. Like, let's just see if he's reading this. 5.18. I'm like, that's very specific. Usually it's 5, 5.30, 6, 6.30. They round it off. Come to find out, that's according to the Screen Actors Guild Union rules. They go by every six minutes. They have it down to that that tight of a schedule. Your call time's five eighteen. Be here by five eighteen or earlier. So you learn well, you learn new things all the time. I was going to say, maybe I should start my show at nine oh six just to screw. Yeah, people. we're going at nine oh three. I hope you're reading this. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, let's ask this question because it's going to be fun. Um, have you worked with any actors or actresses who thought they were the cat's ass? And do you care to mention any names? Um, everybody has been the. You know, when I did Rust, all I thought I was so scared because I thought Alec Baldwin. Oh God, please don't let him be a jerk. Please don't let him be a jerk. You read all these things. He couldn't have been sweeter. We're getting ready to start shooting uh, the day that I'm there, and I'm in this old west town. They got the cameras, the boom, everything ready to rock, and this car comes driving down the main street, and everybody's like, what the hell is this? Who the hell is, what is going on? And the driver's window comes down, and Alec Baldwin pops his head out, and he goes, are you guys making a movie? Can I park here? Is that cool? Can I park here? (laughs) And everybody was, and he he couldn't have been nicer. It could have been sweeter. Um. Nobody that really set out to be purposely. I did Brooklyn Nine Nine, and uh, Andre Brower, uh, who plays the captain, was super nice, super sweet. I didn't get a chance to talk to Andy Samberg that much because not only is he the star, but he's also the producer. So he was always flanked by two people in his ear, talking about God knows what. So he was just like, "Hey, I'm, dude, I'm like three people busy." I was gonna say so, this sounds like a headache and a half to me trying to be the in front and behind. Like I was asking yeah. you about the differentiation the earlier. I can't imagine doing both. Yeah, nobody that's ever been a jerk. They've all been nice. Well, but somebody was. Well, I have to ask you about this this Chris Rock uh, Will Smith thing again because yeah. speaking of jerk, right? Is is that talk talk, talk to me about how big the Oscars actually are? Because so I've always just thought about it as kind of a slap on the back for the. Yeah, am I right or am I? Oh, what a great show! Actors giving actors awards. Okay, Uh, you 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 want my perspective as an audience member or as an actor? Well, give give it to me as an actor, probably save you some save you some trouble. (laughs) My my attitude is 
I, I don't act for trophies. I don't care for that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, as Samuel L. Jackson said, it doesn't move the zeros on my paycheck. So I don't, I, I think it's incredibly sad where it has gone because to me, it used to be a night of celebration, celebrating the film, celebrating excellence. There was a, a bar, a standard, and it was seeing what truly was the best, what really went above and beyond. And now it's quotas. It's marking off the checkboxes. We haven't, we haven't raised our standards. All we've done is lowered the bar. And you, I could question you all day about who the best actor was, who the best film was. In my opinion, that's all it comes down to, my opinion. I think what happened is, um, to a larger extent, representative of uh, what, what has happened in this country, in this society. In the early 90s, we saw that, uh, you know, uh, well, my son can't, in the track meet, he never comes in first, second, or third, and it really does a number on him, and I don't like that. So there should be no more first, second, and third. Everybody should get a participation ribbon. And you know what you've done? You've lowered the bar. You've lowered the bar, not pushed people to strive above and beyond. And and that's what happened to the Oscars, in my opinion. I don't care for them. I don't, I don't watch them. And that breaks my heart because as a kid, I used to stay up and the Oscar night, oh my gosh, that was such a big deal for me to see the red carpet, the red carpet interviews, to watch, I'd watch that show from beginning to end. So let's, let's, let's flip it to the more positive. Have you ever done something red carpet, some kind of big flash event? Oh, wait, flash it. photography, I've, folks. Don't think I'm, no. Yeah, yeah, some, <laughs> some film festivals, some film premieres, and it's, uh, you know, that's good for the filmmaker, the director, the, the maybe the marketing company that's pushing it. It's part of your job. Me personally, I'd rather be in my home, sitting in my easy chair in front of my TV, watching something. It's but it's part of it. You do it because it's part of it. But no. I don't. I don't seek it out. Oh, I have to. You should. No, wait. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you've also you'll probably notice that I haven't asked you about very specific projects because I know you've been involved in a slew of them. But I also know that you're probably working on something this week that'll be coming out in a year and a half or so. I've done a lot and it sounds obnoxious, but I'm doing four and five projects a month now that if you asked me what I did, I'd be like, "Um, I just did a couple things, but I can't remember. I shot a commercial, shot a movie, uh, shot a TV pilot. I'm getting ready to go to Vegas to shoot a film for a couple days with Cuba Gooding Jr. So that's kind of cool. That's cool. And then I just got to show me the money. Oh, to go to do a casino commercial. Uh, I'm going to start on a web series at the end of the month. And then I just landed a, um, a role uh, on some TV show up in Utah. Uh, in December, I wrapped on a film with Netflix for, for Netflix with Lindsay Lohan, just a cast of six of us. So that was kind of a big deal. I had a great role in that. And then uh, that's not coming out till like November, December. This that's year. what I'm saying. Like you did that last year, and it's there's a, such a gap in between well, when it's. Well, they edit it, and they like to they, they got to edit it. They have to put a score to it, and they have to they want to market it properly. Yeah. So it takes time. 
And like, so, but, but by the time you, by the time it gets out, you've done two other things, and it's like, oh, yeah, that, that yeah. little project, uh, like, yeah, like, that was fun. <laughs> you know, it's it's nineteen ninety, and you're interviewing Robin Williams about the great work he did on Aladdin. Tell me more, and he's like, I wish I could, but I did the voiceover for that in eighty five, <laughs> <laughs> which is true. He, you know, he, you, animation's even longer, but. Um, and then I, I'm reading for a couple of roles on this TV show called Waco. And so, yeah, always stuff going on, coming up. That's good. Keeps you busy, keeps you out of trouble. Well, Every day I'm hustling. <laughs> I don't know if it keeps you out of trouble, but uh, keeps me out of trouble. I try. I, I'm a very, very boring. Oh, I just shot a commercial for the uh, Arizona Tourism Board. Oh, so you were there at the Grand Canyon with your with your phone out taking a picture, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. They, what he was just complaining about is just true. <laughs> one of those things where they're like, show up at five a.m. because we want to get the sun up because we're going to replace that as the sundown. And I'm like, uh, can't we just shoot it at sundown? I'm more of a one to three in the afternoon kind of guy. That's when I'm at my peak. I'm not as much as I've done this as long as I've done this. You'd think I'd be used to it now, but people go, "Your call time's at five. and I go, "PM, right? You mean PM? <laughs> no, yeah. A. No. Yeah. Great. No. I get up at five a.m. I'm like, "All right, let's go be glamorous." <laughs> well, hey, if you ever need, if you ever hear somebody looking for a mediocre podcast host that can't stumble over all over their words. I just did it to this poor guy again. I'm going to kill him tonight. I'm I'm remembering things. I I also have a, uh, at the Phoenix Film Festival, I have three films in it uh, showing. I'm so proud of that. Uh, By by Good Rights, Murphy, and Whiskey Sour. And um, that's getting a lot of attention. And then um, I did this uh, TV show, uh, cowboy TV show called Horse Camp. And uh, we did season one of it, and it's on Amazon right now. And I found out that um, we're shooting season two, and the production's even getting bigger. They're moving it to New Mexico to shoot, so that looks like it's gonna gonna be something. We'll see. Well, hey, keep after it and stay in touch and do all the good things. And I appreciate you uh, reaching out and saying, "Hey, you want to be on?" Because I'm, I'm fascinated, man. I appreciate being on and you talking with me. I appreciate the opportunity. And. Um, Good luck, and uh, when you win that Oscar, come back and talk to me, okay? Yeah, you won't see me there. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll go and accept it for you. How's that? Go. Sean couldn't be here tonight because he said he's done with this shit. So we're going to get this to him. <laughs> and uh, Jim Howard's here to accept it for him tonight. Thank you, motherfucker. <laughs> Thanks, man. Have a good night. All right, buddy. Be well. <laughs> and, oh, let's see. There you go. I had a. Um, just wanted to take a minute and uh, there's a lot going on in the world and uh, you need to keep some of the members of the pond in your uh, thoughts uh, tonight uh, a lot of illness a lot of stuff going on and so let's just uh, take a moment and take care of them take care of each other um, that was fun tonight by the way I'm glad I did that um, as Helen walks at night before the show Every once in a while, I'll take a flyer on somebody just because I need to get out of the little loop that we're in. And uh, that was awesome tonight. So I hope you all enjoyed it as well. Oh, yeah. March is over, guys. Be April before we know it. And then we'll be staring down May, which makes 11 years. Ooh. Gotta get booked in May. So be a good time. But until next week, I think we're going to just keep each other safe and keep each other happy. Talk to you soon.
Thank you for joining us. It's been a good show tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. Take a few moments, subscribe, share, all the fun stuff. You know how to do it. I don't have to tell you. Just uh, be ready for next week. It'll be sooner than you think. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah. right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Tripodis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.